We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. This morning we're going to start a new series that we'll deal with in January about spiritual disciplines. All out of Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, Jesus is really challenging the way the Jews thought and perceived and displayed their religion. So when we read this chapter, it's really good for us to do it through those eyes and understand it's a challenge to traditional beliefs. Kind of reminds me of the two guys that were out for a walk with their dogs. One had a Dalmatian, one had a Chihuahua. And as they were walking, they walked past a restaurant and the smells coming out of that place were so good, they just had to go in and get something to eat. The guy with the Chihuahua said to the guy with Dalmatian, well, they won't let us in, we have dogs. He said, just follow my lead. So he put on a pair of sunglasses, went to the door, and the, the restaurant manager said, you can't come in here. We don't allow pets in here. He said, oh, no, this isn't a pet. This is my C&I dog. He said, the Dalmatian? Yeah, they're using Dalmatians now. Okay, come on in. So the second guy with the chihuahua walks up to the manager. He said, you can't come in here. We don't allow pets in here. No, 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 this is my C&I dog. And the guy said, chihuahuas? And the guy with the chihuahua said, chihuahua, they gave me a chihuahua? That's just funny. It doesn't matter who you are. But it challenges our perceptions, the way we've always seen things and interpreted things. And that's what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 6. He's challenging perceptions and behavior. He's challenging the way the Jews have always thought about spiritual disciplines such as prayer and giving and fasting, and even the interpretation of the commandments are challenged in this passage of Scripture. So I I encourage you to read Matthew 6 over the next few weeks again and again and again and say, Spirit of God, what are you speaking to me from your Word? Do you realize God speaks to you from His Word? That's the primary mechanism that He uses to speak into the lives of His people. So you should be reading the Word, studying the Word, digesting the Word, Every single day. Matter of fact, if you haven't made a New Year's resolution regarding your spiritual life, I'm not even going to ask how many of you made a resolution to go to the gym. Not going to ask how many of you made a resolution to go on a diet. Not even going to ask because everybody does that and we fail, don't we? But we should be making spiritual resolutions. And I challenge you to make a spiritual resolution to read and study God's Word every single day. And allow the Spirit of God to speak into your heart and to bring change to your life as the Word of God becomes real and alive to you. Will you do that? Accept that challenge and just watch and see what God will do in your heart and in your life. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18 for our text this morning. The Bible says, actually Jesus said, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, For they disfigure their faces that that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who's in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would anoint the preaching of your word should open our hearts and open our minds and allow us to receive and challenge us in the spiritual discipline of fasting. Help us to understand the profit, the benefit that comes to us individually when we choose to set time apart 
sacrifice things in our life to focus solely on you and what you're speaking to us. We ask it in your name. Amen. Fasting is defined many, many different ways. The definition I like the best is it's the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. The voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. See, I want you to understand when we're talking about fasting, if we don't couple that with seeking God, then we're just really having a diet. It has no spiritual impact or impetus in our life whatsoever. I read long ago that the disciplined person is one who can do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. We need to apply that to our spiritual lives. The disciplined person is the one who can do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Years ago, I was a pretty good basketball player. And I could put that ball through the hoop every time, well, not every time, but 50% of the time, how about that, that I tried. But I haven't touched a basketball for years because I injured my back and my right knee uh, about 20 years ago, and I gave up basketball. I haven't played since then. Every now and then I'll shoot hoops with my grandkids, but that's about it. So I couldn't do what I need to do on the basketball court today. If I were on a team and they were counting on me to win, they're going to lose. Because I haven't done what needs to be done to be a disciplined person and to put that ball through the hoop. Now understand the application. In the spiritual realm, if we are going to be people who understand God, who walk in the power and the presence of God, if we walk in His anointing, we have to be disciplined to do what we need to do when it needs to be done. And fasting, contrary to popular opinion, isn't just a first-of-the-year kind of thing. I know I've called you to fasting and prayer the first of every year because I think it's a good discipline for us to practice as a church body. But we need to see there are other times in our life when it's very appropriate, matter of fact, urgent, that we set time apart to fast and to pray and to seek God, to allow God to do something wonderful in our lives. When we learn to be disciplined people who do what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, and that's applied to our spiritual life, then we find ourselves living in a dynamic we never knew existed. God takes us to a level we didn't even dream was there because we have chosen to set something aside in our life for the purpose of finding Him and seeking Him and discovering Him. It's a great thing. Fasting was never meant to be a soul-killing law. However, that's what it became in the New Testament time. Just another law, just another tradition, just another thing you do if you're a religious person. How many of you here know that I hate religion? You've been here long enough, you understand that. Religion has no place in our walk with God. We're not based or built upon religion or a set of ethics or codes or doctrines, but we walk in a living relationship with the living God who reveals himself to us each and every day, who walks with us and talks with us, who reveals his will and his plans to us, and it takes us outside the boundaries of man-made religion into a place where we know God intimately. See, and that's what Jesus is driving at in Matthew chapter 6. This is what you've always been taught. This is what you've always thought. This is how you've always behaved. But let me show you a better way. Let me show you the real way. Let me show you the way that brings joy to the heart of the Father and relationship into your heart and into your life. Often today, fasting is either used as a weight loss mechanism, 
or some kind of a political ploy. It's nothing more than either vanity or manipulation. But when we understand fasting from Jesus' perspective, it brings power into our lives. It brings revelation into our lives. How many of you have said, God, give me revelation this year? I'm going to tell you how to get revelation this morning. It's by setting yourself apart and allowing God to speak into your life and open the windows of heaven and pour out upon you those things that you have sought for and desired but have never yet received. Fasting is a valid biblical principle. Not just a New Testament thing. Matter of fact, you can go clear back to the Old Testament. And when Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac, his servant fasted that he would find the right woman. You can read on through Scripture. Moses fasted on several occasions. You can read that Hannah, as she prayed for a child, fasted that God would hear her. David, on several occasions, practiced fasting. Elijah, after his victory over Jezebel, fasted. Ezra, when he was mourning Israel's unfaithfulness, went into a time of fasting. Nehemiah, when he was preparing for his trip back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, spent time fasting. Esther, when God's people were threatened with elimination, called the entire Jewish nation to a period of fasting. Daniel, on numerous occasions, practiced a fast. Jesus, when he began his public ministry, spent 40 days in fasting and prayer. Paul, at the point of his conversion on the road to Damascus, after having encountered Jesus, spent three days fasting. The Christians at Antioch, when they sent Paul and Barnabas off on their first missionary journey, did so first with fasting and prayer. Paul and others, when they appointed elders or leaders in the New Testament churches, did so from a position of fasting. So this morning I want to answer the question, why should we fast? We know it's a biblical principle, we see it's a biblical practice, but why should we do it today? Well, look back at our text. Jesus didn't say, if you fast, he said, when you fast. See, that's an implied command. He didn't say, you shall fast, but he said, when you fast, this is how you should do it. It's an implied command. Jesus understood that those who followed him, those who walked in relationship with him, would value time spent with God. Well, I love the way you're shouting now. I knew this was going to go over really well this morning. All you guests, please come back next week. It'll be a lot better, I promise. I even put it in the email this week. I know some of you have been jumping up and down saying, Wow, a sermon on fasting, I can't wait. It's not what we want to hear. But we need to understand it's a New Testament principle. We need to practice. Because there's great value for us when we choose to do that. Jesus didn't say, if you fast. He said, when you fast. He was assuming those who followed him would desire to practice this this, uh, spiritual discipline that brings great input and power and presence into our lives. It's amazing to me that when you read the New Testament, there's as much evidence for the practice of fasting as there is the practice of giving. However, we have no problem with teaching people how to give, do we? We do it all the time. If you've been in church, we've already taught you how to give. We received the offering, did we not? And we do so saying that as we give, God continues to minister into our lives. Let me just pause a moment and tell you that's wrong. 
Because we don't give to get. We give because we have already received. We give because the Father has already poured His blessings out upon our lives. We give as an expression of thanks and worship and appreciation to what God has already done. Oh, come on, if you woke up this morning and you're breathing oxygen, you have a reason to give thanks unto God. You have a reason to give praise unto God. You have a reason to magnify the King of Kings. So when I bring my tithe and I bring my offering, I'm not giving them and we're not taking them, but rather I'm saying, thank you, God, for all that you've already done for me. Come on, that's the attitude that should be behind our giving. We have no problem teaching people how to give. We have no problem asking people to give. But when it comes to fasting, we kind of trip over that one. I'm not sure how to present that, Pastor. I'm not sure that I want to do that, Pastor. I'm not sure that's something that should be applied today. Maybe that's just a New Testament thing. When you go down that track, where do you draw the line? Where do you stop saying maybe that's just a New Testament thing? I mean, do you say, well, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that's just a New Testament thing. Healing, that's just a New Testament thing. Miracles, that's just a new... Do you see what I'm saying? Where do you draw the line with that type of thinking? I've come to challenge you this morning to recognize it's a spiritual principle that has the power to revolutionize your life and mine if we set ourselves apart to seek the living God. And that's what fasting is all about. It's not about giving up a meal. You know, I think in cultures of affluence, in cultures of plenty, and that's where we live. You realize that, right? Compared to the rest of the world, we are very, very rich. We are very, very affluent. In cultures of affluence, it's less of a sacrifice to give money than it is to fast. Think about that for just a moment. Because what we think motivates us and drives us, and if it's easier for me to give money in the offering than it is to give up a meal, to set that time apart to seek God, then I'm going to give all the time, but I'm never going to fast. Well, I've come to tell you, God wants to do something in us and through us when we choose to set ourselves apart, separate something from our lives, and to allow him to speak into us. So let's talk about three reasons to fast. It's all in your outline. I'm going to do my best to get through it in the time that I have. How much time do I have anyway? I didn't even look at my watch this morning. Oh, about 45 minutes or an hour. No problem, right? All right, I love it. I'm going to preach this whole message whether you like it or not, so just hang on, Okay. Here we go, three reasons to fast. Number one is to respond to a sense or a call, a prompting or an urging from God that God wants to do something in your life that's unusual or different or new. We respond to his leading, and by fasting, we're allowing him to do something in us. You can look at Esther chapter 4. I already referenced the fact that Esther fasted when her nation was on the verge of elimination. But in Esther chapter 4, Mordecai sent her this message. Don't think that just because you're living in the king's house, you're the one Jew who will get out of this. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive from the Jews from someplace else. But you and your family, you're going to be wiped out. Who knows? And I love this phrase. All of us have heard it. Who knows? But what may be you were made queen For such a time as this. See, it's a call. It's an urging. It's a sense from God that it's time to do something different. Then Esther sent back her answer to Mordecai. 
Go and get all the Jews living in Susa together. Fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, either day or night. I and my maids will fast with you. If you do this, then I'll go to the king, even though it's forbidden. And if I die, I die. Mordecai left and carried out Esther's instructions. You see, there was an urging, there was a sense, there was a call that something different had to be done. Church, can I tell you, when we look at our society, when we look at our culture, when we look at our our broken families, don't you sense a call, an urging, a desire from God, a prompting of the Spirit to do something different? Isn't it time to fast? You can also read it in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. Nehemiah, when he heard the report of Jerusalem, and I was in decay and rubble, and the walls were broken down. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Daniel chapter 1, when Daniel and the captives of Israel had been carried away into Babylon, and they were offered the finest of the king's meats, and Daniel recognized it would violate his relationship with God, said these words in chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel determined he would not defile himself by eating the king's food or drinking his wine. So he asked the head of the palace staff to exempt him from the royal diet. He said, just give us vegetables and watch what happens after 10 days. You can read that chapter to find out the rest of the story. I don't have time to tell it to you. But there was a sense, a call, a prompting, an urging that was moving within them. That's a reason we fast. Number two, we fast when because it reveals what controls us. Oh, and this makes us real uncomfortable. It reveals what controls us. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, and we don't have time to read it all, but there you'll find the story of Jesus being tempted by Satan after fasting 40 days in the wilderness. The first thing Satan said to him Hey, here's a stone. Why don't you turn it into bread if you're the son of God? What was he doing? He was appealing to his physical need. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. Bread would be a pretty good thing. If you're really who you say you are, turn that stone into bread. And what did Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone. And then Satan took him to a high place and he said, Look at all the world. All the authority is mine. And if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the authority. What was Satan suggesting? He was suggesting a shortcut to the plan of God. He was saying, hey, I've got a way you can rule the world without dying on the cross. See, he was appealing to his vanity, his ego. That's revealed when we begin to fast. And thirdly, Satan said to him, as he took him to the pinnacle of the temple, cast yourself down. Because the scripture says, God will give his angels charge over thee and he will lift you up. And Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He appealed to his flesh, he appealed to his ego, his spirit, his sensual man, and then he appealed to the greatest thing, life and death. So we need to understand when we begin to fast, what motivates us, what controls us, is revealed. I remember the first time I ever did a fast. Did it for a week. It was the hardest week I'd ever spent in my entire life. And you know the first thing I noticed? The first thing that was revealed in me is I wanted to feel good. And I wasn't feeling good after missing a couple of meals. It didn't make me feel good at all. Now, there's nothing wrong with feeling good, but sometimes that's all that drives us. Sometimes that's all that motivates us. Sometimes that's what causes us to keep going. 
I'm here to tell you there's something better than a good feeling. And it's a God feeling. It's a God relationship. It's coming into his presence and letting him move in our lives. The second thing that was revealed in me when I began to fast that first time was anger. I got mad because I was hungry, or so I thought. But in reality, I was angry because there was a spirit of anger that was trying to dominate and control my life. It was revealed as I began to fast. Another thing that was revealed was pride. Pride. Have you ever thought about the ways we can tell people we're okay and I don't need your help and I don't need your input? That's pride. Pride's revealed when we begin to fast. Fear, isolation, uncertainty. All begins to be unveiled and unveiled, uh, revealed when we begin to fast. So it reveals what's controlling us. Number three, it's a response to an urgent need. Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21. Again, write it down. We don't have time to go there. You'll find the story of Jesus and his disciples approaching a large crowd of people. There's a father in the crowd that brings his son who is an epileptic. And he says... He often throws himself into the fire or into the water. The implication is the kid's going to die if somebody didn't do something. And then he said, your disciples couldn't cure him. So Jesus said, bring him to me. He healed that little boy. Then the disciples, later on in the same passage, verses 17, or chapter 17, 19 through 21, came to Jesus privately and they said, why couldn't we cure this boy? Why couldn't we heal this boy? This is what Jesus said. Because of your unbelief, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now listen to the last verse. However, this kind, however, this kind. May I ask, are you facing a this kind problem? Are you facing a this kind obstacle? Are you facing a this kind diagnosis? Are you facing a this kind relationship problem? Are you facing a this kind financial issue? Are you facing something in your life that you haven't been able to move? You've been unsuccessful in resolving. The doctors can't fix you and can't heal you. The financial planner can't put it back together. Your relationship is falling apart in spite of the counselors of this kind moment. If you're in this kind moment, then you need to hear these words. Jesus said this kind only comes out. By prayer and fasting. He had asked them time and again to pray with them. And they just didn't get it. They didn't get it. Oh, folks, I've come to challenge you today to do something you've never done, to see something you've never saw. It's time to move through the this kind moment and see the miracle working God we serve active and on power and alive in your hearts and in your lives. Fasting, that's a boring subject. Are you kidding me? This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. I don't know about you, but there's some this kind moments in this church right now. We're facing an insurmountable battle with our lender. It's a this kind moment, and I'm challenging you to to come with me and go in prayer and fasting. God's got an answer. It's a this kind moment. Jesus said this kind only comes out except by prayer and fasting. Second Chronicles chapter 20. The Bible says that Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. He got word that a huge army was coming against him. 
And you could read it. It says in verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared. Do you understand its normal human reaction? When we face things that we can't fix, when we face things that are bigger than us, for some fear to come into our lives. That's a normal human reaction. Nothing wrong with being a human being. Those people that tell you there should never be fear in their life, I don't know what world they're living in. But it's not mine. It's a normal human reaction. What matters is how we deal with that emotion of fear. We're all going to have it, but how do we deal with it? Look at what Jehoshaphat did. It says he feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and all the cities of Judah came to seek the Lord. Why am I calling this church to a fast? Because there is biblical precedent that when we choose to set our face to seek the Lord, when we separate things from our lives to focus on God, God shows up. God hears and answers. Oh, you can read the rest of that chapter. I don't have time to go into it. But it says that God said to them, you're not going to have to fight in this battle. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. This kind comes by prayer and fasting. Oh, victory is ours when we choose to do what God has showed us to do. When we follow biblical principles, God shows up in our lives. So we fast in response to urgent needs. And then why should we fast? Let's talk about that. Or what should we fast? Pardon me. What should we fast? Well, obviously, food. There's a lot of ways to do it. Jesus fasted for 40 days, and he removed all food from his life, just drank water. Daniel teaches us about the Daniel fast, where we eliminate sweets and meats from our diet. That's very acceptable as well. Other folks choose to eliminate certain foods from their diet. That's acceptable as well. Do you remember what I said as we began Don't make fasting a law that kills the spiritual man. See, when we get so legalistic about this stuff, then all we do is tie people in knots. I'm not here to do that. I'm here to tell you that God's going to honor what you offer to him. God's going to honor what you give to him and what you offer to him. So you can certainly fast foods. But let's think a little bit further, because in our society, some other things apply as well. How about fasting social media for 14 days? Could you do that? Stay off of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat for 14 days? That would kill some of you. I mean, you'd just shrivel up and die. What are my peeps going to do if they don't know what I'm eating for dinner? Give me a break. By the way, I don't care what you eat for dinner. Don't put it on Facebook. That's just my two cents. It's my opinion. That's not Bible. That's just Steve, all right? Think about it. What about fasting social media and giving the time you spend updating, reviewing, looking to God? How about fasting entertainment? Average American watches five hours of TV every day. How about fasting television and movies? Man, that would be a lot of time we could give to God. I can't do that. I'm going to miss my favorite programs. Can I tell you something? I know the end before the beginning. It's always the same. It never changes. They use the same script writers to write the same scripts, just changing places, and it's always the same. You can't miss it. You would even know if you missed it if you would try. How about communication? 
Do you know what Psalm 46.10 says? Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. The discipline of silence is a great need in our lives. Be still and know that I am God. Now, people like me and professors and politicians, we need words to earn our living. That's what we do. But can we be still? In that moment, shut up and let God speak to us. You know one of the reasons we feel so vulnerable when we choose silence? Because we lose control. We control people with our words. And if we're not talking, then we lose control. And we don't know what's going to happen. Let me tell you what's going to happen. God takes control. God takes control. When I choose silence, God takes control. All of you who have been here for any time know I'm a fan of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I love his writings. And he tells us very clearly that if we choose silence, things that shouldn't be said go unsaid. And things that need to be said are said in very few words. So he's telling us there's a benefit in silence. And in that silence, when we choose to be still and know that he is God, it links our trust to our communication. See, if I have a problem and I'm just being chatty Cathy about it, you know what it tells me? It tells me I'm in control. But if I have a problem and I just shut up and give it to God, it tells me God's in control. I don't know about you, but I think communication may be a good thing to fast every now and then. Ladies, I know it's tough, but can you just use 10,000 words a day instead of 30? I'm just kidding. You know that. Communication. Number two, how about fasting our cell phones? I didn't bring mine with me. Sometimes I put it in my pocket. Give me your phone, Daniel. I know you've got it there. There's not a mom. He's a millennial. He always has a phone. No question about it. He also didn't get the nun and the bedpan joke. He's a millennial. Sorry, that's an old reference. I shouldn't have made it. How about fasting your cell phones? Did you know this has an off button on it? Did you realize that? You can actually turn these things off. It's an amazing piece of technology. Do you know it's okay not to answer the phone every time it rings? You see, I have no problem giving people my cell phone number. Matter of fact, it's on the back of your handout. If you need help after hours, call this number. That's my cell phone number. I have no problem giving that to you. I had a text at 3.30 this morning, someone wanting prayer. I woke up, returned the text, prayed for them, and went back to sleep. I have no problem doing that because I control the phone. The phone doesn't control me. And if I want to turn the thing off, I'll turn it off. And if you call me and I'm busy or I'm not ready to answer... If it's important, you're going to call back or leave me a message. See, it's okay to understand. If it's important, they'll call back or leave you a message. Thank you, Daniel. I know you're not supposed to do that, but I knew we could catch it. How about your cell phone? What if I miss the opportunity of a lifetime on a cell phone call? I seriously doubt it. How about fasting people? I don't even know what that means. I'm going to try to help you understand what that means. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together, very perceptive about relationships. He made this statement, until we have learned to be with people, being alone will be a dangerous thing because it cuts us off from hurting, bleeding humanity. Can't we come back with the worship team? 
until we have learned to be with people, be, be with people, being alone will be a dangerous thing because it cuts us off from hurting, bleeding humanity. But until we have learned to be alone, we can't be with people in a way that will help them because we bring to them our, our, our. It's all about us. It amazes me when I sit down to talk to people, and I thought we're having a conversation, but we're not. We're having a monologue. They just talk, 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 talk. See, if we don't understand how to be alone, we can never effectively be with people. Because if we don't understand how to be alone, then we will never be able to listen to them and their heart and their need and bring life and hope and direction from the Father into their lives. You know, I love that Harley Davidson because I can get on that bike and I'm all by myself. My phone isn't answered. I don't return text messages. There's nobody talking in my ear. There's no communications, no radio, no CD. It's just me and the highway. I'm alone. And God speaks into my heart in those moments and gives me insight and vision for you and me as riding that bike. Alone. We need to find times when we can be alone. I know what you're thinking. I can't do that because I don't have time. My schedule is way too busy. I don't have time to be by myself. Well, let me challenge you with this way. Moses found time. He led several million Jews out of Egypt to the promised land. He had time. Think of it this way. Elijah had time. David had time, Peter had time, Paul had time, Jesus had time. If they all made the time because they saw the need to be alone, alone with God, then don't you think it might be important for us to do the same thing? See, when we talk about fasting, we immediately throw up walls. I'm not going to do that. That's an Old Testament thing. That's a religious thing. I've come to challenge that thinking today and to tell you, If you will simply separate something from your life, whether it's food, social media, entertainment, communication, other people, if you'll separate something from your life in order to give that time to God, God will do great things in you. It's a promise. It's a promise. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room this morning. You're here today and I know that I haven't preached anything That's going to make anybody want to know Jesus as their Savior. But I know the Holy Spirit is here. He's been talking to you from the very first note of the very first song about your need to know Jesus. You got up on this cold January morning and you came to church for a reason. The reason is there's something missing in your life. Something you need you've never been able to find anywhere else so... Maybe you'll find it at church. Well, can I tell you what you're searching for? His name is Jesus. What you're longing for is forgiveness. And what you desire is a relationship with the living God. So if you're in this room this morning and say, Preacher, you just talk to me. That's what I need. I need Jesus in my life. I need to be forgiven. I need to be restored. I want a relationship with God. That's you. Right where you sat. Will you lift that hand and say, Pray for me. Yes, sir. Others. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Others. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Others. 
I come this morning because I need Jesus. Come on, you'll join these ten or so that have already raised their hand. That's me. I need Jesus. Yes, sir. Anyone else? So wait just a moment. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. A multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.